as long as you're moving forward, even if you're falling forward, it's still progress. Is that yours? Did you come I up with just, that? I just made that up and I'm gonna write it down because I feel like that was just pure genius. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella, and today I'm joined by George Bryant. He is the New York Times best-selling author of The Paleo Kitchen and creator of the wildly popular food blog, Civilized Caveman Cooking Creations. I'm actually going to read to you a little bit about George, and then we'll bring him on in his own words. After spending the first 20-something years of his life in, con- in a constant battle with his weight and then nearly losing both of his legs while on deployment in Somalia as a U.S. Marine, George took matters into his own hands and began his own wellness journey. After being in the Marines for 12 years, George now works full-time creating delicious paleo recipes while hoping to change as many lives for the better by making real food recipes simple and tasty. He's also a professional husband, bonus dad, and family man. Welcome, George. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, and congratulations on your impending nuptials. I know you're not technically a husband yet, but soon to be, correct? Yeah, soon to be a husband. I already wear the ring because I'm impatient, and I don't think... I don't think a piece of paper defines our marriage or nuptials, and I, uh, Lindsay's absolutely amazing, and I cherish her, and I'm proud to be her husband, so I wear the ring now. Well, one of the reasons, I don't typically read people's backstory like that, but I wanted people to understand right away that we're not just talking about George Bryant, 2015, hugely successful blogger, recipe developer, author of the best-selling book, The Paleo Kitchen, but there's a heck of a lot more to this story, George. Totally. And I actually really appreciate you sharing that because um, it's funny to me. And I, we were talking about this briefly before we got on. Um, it's funny when you see, I like how you referenced it, George Bryant, 2015. And it's the well-polished, the well-rounded. And everybody sees me in a shirt and pants. And no one sees all the Band-Aids and scars and stitches that were underneath that shirt that it took to get here. So I really appreciate you sharing that because uh, very similar to, you know, you're a business owner and I was an active duty Marine for 12 years. Um, I joined the Marine Corps when I was 17 years old. And two years ago, uh, against my own wants, I was medically separated because I've been injured uh, a numerous amount of times and I was no longer of service. I suffer from traumatic brain injury. Um, I almost lost both my legs due to exercise-induced compartment syndrome. I've been kind of all over the gambit of places. And um, when I started my paleo journey, and we'll get to paleo, uh, I had never cooked before in my life. And I was also struggling with bulimia for 12 years. So I kind of I kind of have the renaissance of every single thing that you can do as a person to test yourself in health and wellness and then kind of come out on top, which is why I love sharing my story. Um, so I'm already rambling. I feel like my story could take up your entire show. <laughs> That's okay. We have a plan, George. <laughs> But yeah, I, I'm excited to share, like I'm an open book and I love, I love inspiring people and motivating people with what I've already been through. And, and I like to tell people it's everybody's on their own journey and everybody gets to make their own mistakes. But if I can give you 
one piece of advice that stops you from tripping once, you're going to get ahead a lot quicker than I did. I love how open you are with your story. I love that you're willing to share the highs and the lows. And frankly, I think it's so much more useful for people to understand where people came from rather than just seeing the highlight reel, you know, that's totally total. So common on social media, for example, where you're just like, oh, <laughs> I'm glowing with health. My life has yeah. always been beautiful. <laughs> totally. And that's actually, well, that's a huge point of mine. It's, it's another venture I'm getting into my my passion is I'm starting a podcast and it's been in the works for a while um, while I get to a point where I can launch it, but it's called Unperfectly Paleo and it's the tagline is where limitations and struggles turn into hugs and bacon. <laughs> and the reason I make a joke of it though is I find that the beauty is always in the struggles because that's where the growth happens. You know, nothing happens in the beautiful picture that we paint or portray, but when we are willing to get open and to get messy, that's where the value and the change really happens, which is why I'm so open about it, because I love talking about it. So let's do that. Let's let's go back a little bit, dial back just a little bit and talk to me about what growing up was like for you. Let's start there. <laughs> we're going all the we're way going back. All, talk huh? to me. The day you were born. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I haven't unlocked all the potential of my brain to remember the day I was born yet. I'm working on it. But yeah, growing up for me was... Uh, I don't want to say quite difficult. You know, everybody has their own journey. But yeah, I had a very dysfunctional family. Um, there was a lot of drugs. There was a lot of alcohol. There was a lot of abuse. Um, there was a lot of neglect. And nothing was ever centered around health or wellness or anything. Um, you know, my story growing up, what I made up about myself is that I couldn't really have a voice and that um, if I spoke up, everybody was going to leave me and I would be abandoned. And I eventually emancipated myself right around 15 when social services got involved. But I tell people and I tell my uh, my wife, I call her my wife, by the way, she is my wife. I call I tell my wife that like I don't ever remember having a family dinner with my family. I pretty much lived in a friend's basement and I would always be a part of their family and I always eat with them. But I had a very raw upbringing when it came to understanding, taking care of myself and being a family man and being loving and open and compassionate. So I kind of developed all these beliefs around it, but luckily for me is I was able to recognize it and kind of shift. And um, I struggled with weight a lot in high school. My struggle with bulimia started when I was 15 years old and it was all centered around a dance when a family member made a comment about me being fat. And uh, that's kind of when it started and spiraled out of control. I tried to join the Marine Corps when I was 17 because I wanted to run away. And I was, uh, at that point, I was already like 47 pounds overweight and they wouldn't take me. So... My recruiter helped me, put me in sauna suits and sweatsuits and very unhealthily let me and helped me lose the weight. And eventually I went to boot camp and I came out of boot camp like a soaking wet 155 pounds. And that was um, the low of the low when it came to my weight. And obviously, if you fast forward 10 years, we, we can talk about shortly how that then went from 155 to 257 at my heaviest and then kind of back down. And I've been on this roller coaster. So, yeah, for me as a child. There was nothing health conscious like it was takeout every night, eat on the floor in front of the television. Um, McDonald's was healthy. The local pizza place was healthy. Not eating meals was healthy. There were days that there was no food or were the normal in our household. So I wasn't ever taught. I wasn't taught how to actually care for and nourish and, you know, inspire my body to be healthy. Yeah, so I get that that must have created just a whole portfolio of relationships that you had with food. Like what food became for you had to be so much more than just fuel. Totally. Food for me, and, and, and it's like I had the, the Mazel Tov cocktail that no one wants to drink because food for me ended up becoming comfort. 
because when I was eating or when I was around my family, when I was talking, it was always getting yelled at or put down. But when everybody was eating and everything was silent, it was like this happiness. So I would always start sneaking food and eating food because it became my comfort. And it was like my go-to. And when emotionally, when I was upset or hurt, I always turned to binge eating or eating things that weren't good for me. So it was just a, it was a deadly cocktail as a child. And obviously to struggle with that at 15, you can imagine how that amplifies with another, you know, 13 years of evidence collecting against it into my adulthood. Well, and I'm going to post some pictures of you, um, that you share on your website. I'll put those at on air with Ella.com so that people can see those people who don't know what you look like, George. But do people struggle with the idea of this very strong, super fit guy with tattoos and a shaved head at reconciling that with bulimia? Totally, totally. I, um, <laughs> when I, when I launched my post, I'm like stumbling my words because I remember the impact it had. Uh, when I launched that post about bulimia, no one had ever known, like no one, my family, my friends, my best friends, my brother, no one knew. And it actually came out of my mouth in a conversation at like 2 a.m. in Boston with my business partner, Abel. And I just, at one moment in that conversation, I was feeling very vulnerable and safe and it, it slipped out and it turned into this big conversation. But when I posted that, um, the response was overwhelmingly positive, but people were like, how, why, who, that's not possible. You have a six pack, your tattoos, you were a Marine for 12 years, you were bulimic in Afghanistan. Like how did that work? And I actually think that's one of the most valuable pieces of my story. It's that you never know. And above water, all the ducks always look calm, but you never know how fast their feet are paddling underneath the surface. And it was a perfect thing for me. And everyone's like, yeah, but you you would win races and you'd win triathlons and you would CrossFit competitions. I said, yes, and that's how you saw it. How I saw it was if I continue to win and be number one, no one will ever question that I'm struggling on the inside. Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that, whether the context around it is different or not. I think that you just hit the nail on the head for a lot of people. Yeah, totally. And I appreciate you asking. I mean, I think, you know, for everybody listening, it's um, you never know what it looks like. It's a complete morphing. Um, I It's a disease and it's a complete morph because subconsciously my body and other people's bodies believe that they are that way, that they are bulimic, that they do struggle, that everything happens. And subconsciously people will continue to morph their delivery and their direction with that message to hide it, to move it, to change it. And you may never know what it looks like. Do you need to get the door? <laughs> no, no, my, my wife is getting the door. It's great. You know what I call that? I was sharing a lot of insight in that moment. And I think the doorbell was a perfect like, wake up everybody. There's a message knocking at your door and it's time to hear it. Okay, so moving on. You say that when you graduated, you were an honor graduate from Paris Island yep. in 2002. Well done you. Thank you. Um, and you, you were weighing in at like 155 pounds-ish, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then you get deployed to Somalia yep. in 04, yep. and that's what you said. That's when you really decided to get serious about fitness. So Totally. So so then what happened? <laughs> yeah, so then what happened? I feel like I feel like you should be recording this and writing my autobiography because we could go for, you know, 24 hours straight. So, yeah, I – um. I feel like at my lightest, I think I was around 152, 153, and I haven't posted a picture of that, but um, my jaw, like the actual skin and um, face of my jaw was actually sunken in. It was so, so skinny and unhealthy. But yeah, so when I got to Somalia, 
uh, which I highly recommend that no one ever visits. Somalia is a rough place. That's where I almost lost both my legs more if we want to. But yeah, I got to Somalia and pretty much my only job for 13 months was to stay awake, was to keep communication up. And all you do there is work. 18 to 20 hours a day, sleep when you can, and on your downtime, there's a gym. That's it. Like, that's all you do. And it's, it's weights outside in the sand, and it's just to blow off steam and get testosterone flowing and everything going. That's what you do. So um, when I was there, I was I was deployed with the Guam National Guard and a few civilians that I knew, and I got they were all heavy into fitness, and I got there, and I, I totally had Napoleon complex, like – I've been this little guy. I don't believe I'm good enough as I am because of my story as a childhood and the mindset around that. And so subconsciously, I always wanted to prove my worth, my bestness, like that I was valuable. So I wanted to get as big and bad as possible. So I lifted and I lifted and I lifted and I ate and I ate and I ate. And then um, I got to right around 230 pounds um, after about 10 months of just solid muscle and um you know, it was both a blessing and a curse. Uh, blessing because I got what I wanted. I was huge. I was muscular. I couldn't fit through the door, even though I couldn't tie my own shoes. And the curse was is that at, that is actually part of the problem that exacerbated my compartment syndrome, which caused my legs to explode. Okay, your okay, your legs did what? <laughs> my, yeah, my legs. Um, so I always like to preface this with a disclaimer: if you are drinking any liquids, if you are eating any food, if you just ate, do not Google what I'm about to talk about. If you have a clean stomach or a tough stomach, you can open Google and type in exercise-induced compartment syndrome. That was the condition, and then to see what happened, type in fasciotomy. F-A-S-C-I-A-T-O-M-Y. So what happened is, is um, exercise-induced compartment syndrome is like shin splints gone bad and your blood continues to pump down to your foot, but the compartments in your calf, you have four of them. You have an anterior, a posterior, and two overflows. They get blocked and your blood cannot make it back to your heart. So your legs and your compartments start to swell and swell and swell and your heart doesn't start pumping and eventually your skin rips open and they tear oh and explode. Um, so I don't need to explain the circumstances around that condition or where it happened. I, we don't need to go there. Yeah, that's okay. That's, that's a, okay. That's a PTSD podcast. And just so everyone knows, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. But um, yeah, so that happened and I eventually ended up leaving Somalia and I ended up having um, five surgeries or six surgeries over um, six or seven months and I spent 12 months in a wheelchair and then 18, oh my gosh. Month, 18 months of physical therapy. And that's when I ballooned up to my heaviest, which was around 257 pounds and that's also when my eating disorder um spiraled out of control and the worst it was ever been so you're what like 21 my legs my legs actually exploded on my 21st birthday oh my gosh so you're 21 years old and you're in a wheelchair yep 21 and, and in a wheelchair and you don't know for how long uh no they uh, initially they wanted to amputate both my legs they told me that i would never walk again and that they were going to take my legs from me so mentally, what is happening? <laughs> uh, at that point, um, I remember specifically uh, mentally, I was shut down. I was initially it was like shock. It's like, no, I'm 21. This is stupid. You're not going to take my legs. This doesn't make any sense. Blah, 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 blah. So I was in I was almost in denial and it was like denial shock. And then they were serious and they pushed and pushed. I realized that they were serious and that it was going to be a fight. And at some point. I accepted that it was a possibility, but I didn't accept that it was the only possibility. And I stood up for myself and I fought and I fought and I fought and I fought really hard. 
and I ended up staying in the Marine Corps for another uh, nine years and I ended up having surgeries and keeping my legs and I used it as motivation because I ended up running a couple marathons, doing a half Ironman and I ended up tying the world record for a standing box jump with those legs that they wanted to amputate. So, you know, but just to be authentic, like I struggled, like I remember I was, I had a PCA pump, which is a patient controlled anesthetic directly into my body. So I could give myself pain medication every six minutes. And I remember that there were days or weeks that I would just be numb and not talk. I wouldn't talk to friends. I wouldn't talk to family. I would just be like a robot. And sitting back here now and narrating my life, I can be like, oh, yeah, and I shifted my mindset and overnight it was perfect, but it was like a struggle. And I, I think it's important for people to hear that, too. You know, one of the things I realize now and, and I realize the value in lessons now and the value in what comes up and how the universe delivers us everything we need to learn at that current moment. And I find now that the beauty in life is in the details. It's in the struggles. It's in those moments. It's in those defining moments where you want to quit, you want to give up, you don't want to go anywhere and you get to choose differently. And every time you choose differently, you get to shift your paradigm and you get to shift your belief system and create something new. And I think that's where the amazing part of all this is. Well, so did that transformation or that evolution for you start while you were still in the military? Because I know you then went back, not back, but you went to Afghanistan, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were on like the super fun world tour. Oh, yeah. I went on the, the most hideous world tour you could ever imagine. My passport is stamped with exotic vacations that I wouldn't send my worst enemy on. But yeah. Uh, it started then this this whole thing and and like this goes back to the 2015 George Bryant I, I'd like let's call me um, I don't want to call me a Picasso we'll call me the the painting that the smart elephant painted at the zoo <laughs> uh, and it's taken 15 or 20 years to paint this painting to look at it and it to be completely abstract and still have no one understand but an elephant painted it so it's beautiful so yeah I um, I'm the king of like bad analogies today <laughs> But no, so I, I got better. I was in a wheelchair and then I went into the physical therapy. After the 18 months, I was doing triathlons and working and doing all these things and getting back to a functional human being. And then I went right back to active duty full time. I was still secretly struggling with bulimia, but it was more um, I'm doing quotations with my fingers under control, which is, you know, a number one no-no when it comes to an eating disorder or an addiction because there is no control. And then, yeah, and then my dad died on December 6th of 2008 from metastatic brain and lung cancer, which is a whole nother podcast. I, I ended up Jeez. taking care of my dad for 10 months, um, and I watched cancer deteriorate his body and make him go from the general contractor of 40 years to losing a leg due to amputation and being paralyzed from the neck down before he passed away. And, you know, that was a trigger for everything. And then as soon as that ended, I went right back to my duty station and then ended up in Afghanistan six months later. And then that deployment was riddled with traumatic brain injuries, a couple concussions, um, losing a couple of my Marines and, and really good friends and then um, coming home. And my paleo journey started in Afghanistan. That's when I kind of, you know, it was a it was, I'd say it was a culmination of losing my dad seeing what food did to his body, realizing the journey I'd already been on and what my body's been through over the years, and then having the realization that life is short and valuable by losing a couple friends. And it was by chance I stumbled across a paleo book when I was deployed and I read about it and I started crossfitting and I started eating paleo. And 
that's kind of where my journey started right before I came home in 2010 from Afghanistan. So when you say, for, for those people who are curious, when you say you started eating paleo, what did that mean for you at the time? Yeah, totally. I really appreciate you asking. So for people listening who don't know what paleo is, or my definition of paleo is really loose. It's I like to use it as a template or a framework to get people eating healthy and away from inflammatory foods. So in the simplest forms, it's no gluten, no grains, and no dairy, nothing processed like no soy. So you're focusing on eating whole foods, whole meats, whole vegetables, whole nuts, seeds, fruits, things along those lines. And I like to tell people that that's a template to then transition into figuring out what works for you and what doesn't. For me in Afghanistan, I couldn't control the quality of my food. So I was eating a lot of salads with a lot of hard-boiled eggs and meats when I had it that weren't slathered in sauce or breaded and just a lot of vegetables. And then people would send me, you know, cans of tuna, cans of chicken, jerky, macadamia nuts, things along those lines. So under the parameters of paleo, loosely, I was eating the foods that are in the categories. But being here, it's also being uh, majorly focused on the quality and where it comes from, you know, grass-fed, grass-finished, local farmers, things along those lines. Yeah, I think it's so important for you to make that distinction because one of the things that I like to say, it's in, it's Arthur Ashe's quote, not mine, but start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. So you're not over in Afghanistan going, well, this is not grass-fed beef, therefore I reject it. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good quote. I like that. I'd never heard that until you said that, but I'm totally going to steal it and I'll give him credit. It's been my mantra forever. Yeah, that's a great quote. And that, I mean, that's, that's really like a testament to everything in life. And I, I actually feel like that sums up my message with paleo a lot. It's, it never has to be perfect. Well, so let's, so let's get into some of the detail about what you actually did so that people who are saying, okay, okay, so where do I start? We'll get into that. But first, let's bring everybody back up. Let's continue the story of George Bryant. Um, it's 2015. What's your mission now? Like, what drives you now, George? And then in 2015, <laughs> I feel like that's our transition for the years. Yeah, it's 2015, and you got the George Bryant that's here now. My focus has uh, majorly shifted in the four years since I started my website. Uh, when I started my blog and my website, it was a platform for me to hold myself accountable for my eating disorder. And it since has shifted into paying it forward and, and spreading a message that helps people and motivates people using my story. And, you know, it's been a growth for me and it's a journey for me for food photography, web design and everything. And where I am now is I feel like my website should reflect my life. And now I'm focused on being a family man and a husband and a father and a dog daddy and all these things. And I want to share my struggles, my limitations and my limiting beliefs and explain to people and demonstrate how we can overcome them and use them as value. And I kind of use food as a catalyst to teach people how to create breakthrough results everywhere in their life. I kind of skipped over the part where you taught yourself how to cook, but not just a little. Oh <laughs> like, yeah. It, isn't it, isn't that a funny story that like three and a half years ago, I never cooked and now I'm a New York times bestselling author of a cookbook. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little amusing. So let's talk about that for just a second. <laughs> Cause let me tell you something. Three years ago, I couldn't cook a thing. And three years later, I'm not a New York times bestselling author. So could you please walk us through that for just a moment? Yeah. I, um, I feel like it's one of the only times in my life where my insecurity supported me, um, when it came to wanting to be the best at everything, but it's really not difficult. And, and here's where Oh man, number one, I love this show. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to have conversations about mindset and for everybody listening, uh, I'm just super grateful and humbled uh, that you're listening and sharing this with me. 
So I didn't know how to cook and my need to cook came out of my, what I like to call people, my oh crap moment. And I feel like a lot of people get success in their life when they, when they hit their oh crap moment. And I normally don't use that word. I curse like a sailor, but my oh crap moment came and I'm like, I'm going to die if I number one, continue to purge and be bulimic, have these beliefs about myself. And on top of it, do it in Afghanistan where me not eating healthy causes my reactions to be slower, my alertness and my hyperactivity to be down, which could end up killing other Marines and other people. And that was something that was a very real fear of mine. And that coupled with the fact that I didn't want to end up like my father and pass away from a preventable disease, in my opinion, with food, I realized it was time to to make a change. So when I came home, I was kind of in like, I'm drowning and I'm already six feet below the surface. And it's time to teach myself how to swim. And uh, luckily I could hold my breath a little longer than most, like I'd like to tell myself because I'm stubborn. And uh, what I did was, is I found, I was reading about it, I was reading all these things and I found a couple websites and paleo stuff and I'm like, okay, I need to make this as easy as possible. I've done bodybuilding diets, I've done all these things and I can eat repetitively, it's fine. I'm gonna pick one recipe and I'm gonna make it every week. And on top of that recipe, I'll eat salads and I'll eat eggs and things that are really, really easy to meet to make. So I would pick a recipe every week. I would make that recipe two to three times and I would eat the same thing. And eventually at the end of the week, I would get sick of that one recipe, whether it was chicken or pork or steak. I'm like, okay, I need to make another recipe. So what I would do is I would pick a recipe and I would use it until I knew how to make it without the ingredients and without the process. And then I would move on to the next one. And Slowly but surely, I didn't realize, but like after three months, I had 12 recipes that I had memorized and all of a sudden, I had transitioned into eating multiple different meals every day, all using the crock pot and simple cooking techniques that I didn't even know I was capable of. And it wasn't that I was a genius and it wasn't that I was this culinary like master. It was that I used the simplest of tools and the simplest of recipes and I found ways to make them work for me. And what that did was it built a ton of positive anchors for me around cooking. And all of a sudden, the kitchen became a place of, I feel better when I'm in the kitchen, I eat better when I'm in the kitchen, I'm more excited and motivated when I'm in the kitchen, and cooking is easy for me. And before you know it, with five basic or ten basic recipes, with all the combinations that are there, I had had an arsenal of 400 different things I could cook, all using a crock pot. And I'm like, okay, this is this is something new. And, and that's kind of how I taught myself how to cook. So my mission on my website is to give people things that are easy that create positive anchors around cooking. Because here's the thing, like, and I didn't talk about this in your show, and I actually haven't talked about this in a couple of years, and it just triggered for me. It's like one of the things that I can't stand about society today is that we live in this like 100 mile an hour world. Like everything is go, 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 go. And if you can't do it on your iPhone or your iPad, you don't do it. Like I swear to God, if there was an app to have dinner waiting on your table, people would use it. And I'm like, you know what? Like I wish I could swear in your podcast because I tell you how I feel about those people. And then I'm like, how do you think your kids feel? Like let's let's like put this into perspective. You come home from work. You've been gone for 12 hours. You're sitting in traffic on Instagram, Facebook, social media. You come in the door. Your phone is glued to your hand and your kid's sitting there, hasn't seen him. You have him doing homework and then you do this quick takeout dinner. Yes, you're feeding your child. Yes, you're doing this. And I know people might react crazy to this. But if your child zero to eight and their paradigm about the world is developing, what story are they making up about themselves when their parents are so engulfed in 
social media and on their phone and in electronics and work that there isn't enough time to sit down and have a family dinner or sit down and do homework. And for everybody that you just had your stomach cringe and reacted to a little bit, you can be angry at me or you can high five me. It's just something to be present to because 50 years ago, before iPhones, before computers, before anything, it was drive home from work, get in the door, decompress, get in the kitchen and cook a meal. And that's why one of the reasons, in my opinion, that over the past you know 50 years, we've had a huge jump in obesity and diseases, inflammatory diseases, because we run around and operate in this fight or flight mode and our bodies are never properly prepared to digest our food. And you know, I feel like eating is a priority. Like if you put sugar in your gas tank or pour water in your gas tank or your car, it's not going to run. It's going to break down. And people take care of their cars. They get the oil changed. They wash it. They change the windshield wiper fluid. They take care of it every day because without it, they can't get to work. They can't get to the store. But the car that they're in 24 hours a day, they completely neglect and abuse. It's amazing that taking care of ourselves became some sort of indulgence or something even more common, uh, commonly held belief, something that only well-to-do people can afford to do. Totally. Like, I think it's crazy. When did eating become a to-do item? Like, when did that ever become something that we're so disconnected from? that it just becomes a chore every day. And then I'm like, there's no wonder that we have inflammatory diseases and people are eating junk food and so disconnected from the food system because it's not something that we're passionate about. And I think we lose the value in what food has to offer us, but food heals. Like food is medicine, it's life. And we have no problem being like, I guess remorse and question. And in hindsight, when someone passes away from a disease that could have been cured like type 2 diabetes or inflammatory diseases we're like oh my god i need to eat better i need to do this and we do it for 30 days and then all of a sudden we're back on the bandwagon but like when does our life become important and like when i i I know my voice is raised i'm like ranting right now (laughs) i'm gonna self-soothe here in a second but like (laughs) breathe it's our it's our pre-chat bulletproof coffee yeah if people could see us we're actually on the ceiling right now totally well like here's the thing like for me If I had you over for dinner to my house, I feel like cooking is the ultimate gift in the world. Now, here's why. Going over to someone's house or going to a restaurant and surrendering to eat someone's food, I think we're completely disconnected from, but it is like the ultimate act of vulnerability and surrender. For me, on the other side of it, I feel like I'm given the ultimate responsibility to provide energy, to provide fuel, and to provide sustenance to make sure that my daughter and my wife and my friends and my family are eating foods that support their life and support their body so I get to spend another day with them. That's just amazing that that's where you are now because that's not what was programmed into you. So I just hope that people who are, you know, if you're kind of getting them where it hurts a little bit, I hope that they're understanding that this isn't where you came from. Mm -mm. You weren't, you weren't raised in Narnia on a farm with chickens (laughs) running around. Narnia. No, I was raised in a, I was raised in a house with cocaine, heroin, alcohol, and abuse with pizza on the floor. And You know, it's just a testament that we are not our circumstances. You know, we said that before the show, we were talking about it, but I like to tell people all the time, we are not our circumstances. What we choose to do in the moment of those circumstances defines who we are, not the circumstances themselves. But the difference is, I tell people, like the difference between the Richard Branson's and the Oprah's and the Martin Luther King's is nothing but mindset. You know, we can do anything that we want. 
you know, we can do a marathon, we can do cooking, we can do life, but it's about being everything that you're doing. And when you can be life and you can be loving and you can be compassionate, you can be open and you can be healthy, the doing this takes care of itself. And that's where the value in life is because I'm not trying to be on a soapbox here. I actually catch myself linguistically saying you, and it should be I, because I have been defined by societal values. I have been insecure. I've been bulimic. I have lost the weight. I've binge eaten. I've tanned. I've worked out before shows. I've worked out before speeches. I sit home and call myself fat. I don't feel good. I binge eat. I do all that stuff. So what do you say to the person who's listening right now and saying, okay, so, so I get it, but my life looks nothing like George 2015. It looks nothing like it. And frankly, it feels way too hard to start. You know, I'm, I'm not 21. I'm not 31. Where do I start? Totally. And I love that because the way that even I've portrayed George 2015 um, you miss the six counseling sessions I go to a week. I have post-traumatic stress disorder. I have traumatic brain injury. I have memory loss. I have anxiety attacks. I have panic attacks. I have a service dog that goes with me everywhere. We go to couples counseling. I try to be the best dad possible. I run my business and I do all these things and I struggle. I haven't worked out in 12 months because I'm so internally focused on being healthy. So George 2015 is not a dozen roses. George 2015 is about one roses and there's 11 spaces left to be filled where I continue to work and grow every day. My healing and my solstice is paying it forward and giving it out. And that's where like the growth for me comes. So if you are sitting there wondering, is it hard or it is so hard and I can't change, maybe to you it is hard and to someone else it may not be hard. But the difference between seeing it as hard and seeing results is just doing something. And I'm not saying you have to go run a marathon if you've never run before. But if you tell me you want to run a marathon and you've never gotten off the couch, all I'm going to tell you to do is stand up. And then next week, I'm going to tell you to take a step forward. And I think you said it best with your quote. It's start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can. And really, what is hard? Hard is just a word that we defined and put a definition to and put in a dictionary that man themselves defined. It's a belief that we put in place so we don't have to take action. But what if everything is easy? And what if we say, oh my God, this is easy, let's do it. Now we're getting into the power of intention, the power of declaration, and the power of our language to create the results that we want. Because like when you listen to, and I hate to go back to this, but when you listen to like, Gandhi or you read his writings or you listen to Oprah or Richard Branson or Gabby Bernstein or any of these people, Louise Hayes, you never hear them say the word not. You never hear them say, I'm a loser, I'm fat, I'm anything because they understand the power of their word. And they understand that what they say subconsciously aligns them to what they create in their life. The power is recognizing that belief system and then choosing something different. So to answer your question, if you're on the couch or if you're in a situation you think I have a glamorous life, I will gladly trade um, because the, the concussions and PTSD are not fun and the panic attacks and nightmares and night sweats and anger outbursts are not fun. Um, and I really won't trade. I love my life. It's extremely valuable. All I'm going to invite you to do is to pick something today. Pick something that you're scared of, that you're afraid of, that you think is hard. Write it down 20 times and be like, this is easy. It's easy for me to go to the gym today. It's easy for me to go to the gym today. It's easy for me to eat a healthy meal. It's easy for me to drink more water. And every time that you think it's difficult, tell yourself it's easy and choose something different. 
you will be shocked at the results that you create in your life. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I think that we can get so overwhelmed by setting our minds to some utopian future. And I think that that keeps more people on the sofa um, than almost anything else when the real, the antidote to that is take one step. Totally. It's really like, (laughs) as long as you're moving forward, even if you're falling forward, it's still progress. Is that yours? Did you come up with that? I just made that up and I'm going to write it down because I feel like that was just pure genius. (laughs) the power comes from accepting it and acknowledging it which then freezes it and allows you to take different action which is why I'm like oh yeah I struggle I've lied I hit my eating I've purged I've binged I've done everything but when I speak it out loud the acknowledgement of it freezes it and it no longer has power over me because I put it out there then I get to choose differently and so I actually love that 2015 George, everybody gets to see how messy he is because I think that's like where I said, I think the beautiness is in the details of the mess. Like, I think that's where the value is. Well, and I just think so many people will be able to relate to what you're saying wherever they may be, like whatever their circumstance may be. So I want to be respectful of your time. Actually, what I really want to do is I want to talk to you for an hour and a half. (laughs) But what I will do instead is ask you for a couple of tips so we can break this down to a very, very practical level, George, for some of those some of those people who are listening to you right now and saying, "Okay, all right. Well, what does that first step look like for me? The first step is to choose to do something different that you haven't done before. That's it. Like and it's not. Like if you're like, oh my God, I've never run. I'm not telling you to go run 25 miles. If you've never run before, I'm telling you to get up and run from your couch to your refrigerator and drink some more water. I just want you to choose something that is different. And there's a lot of power in that because your choice is choosing health. It's choosing something new and it's choosing to redefine your paradigm and your belief system around the world. And the reason I say choose something small is because the next day I'm going to have you choose something else that's small and then something else that's small. And then every day I want you to choose something else. What you're going to realize is that every day that you choose something new, you're building your confidence, you're building positive anchors around your choices, and you're motivating and inspiring yourself to create different results. What is one habit that you would like each of us to try on for one week? Eating a real meal. Like literally, I I answered before you even asked the question. I want one habit to pick a meal of the day, whatever meal it is, no phone, no computer, no television, and take 20 minutes and eat a meal. That is it. I want for 20 minutes you to be with you and your food and either a real human being or by yourself and just be there and appreciate it for what it is as it's the fuel that gets you through this life. What is one resource that you want to share with everybody that beyond your own, by the way, the (laughs) Paleo Kitchen, New York Times bestseller, which we'll obviously be linked to in the show notes and as well as your website, which is pure genius. What is one resource beyond your own material, George, that works for you or that you love or that you want to share? Yeah, I am. Actually, this is uh, this is not even really paleo related, which is great for everybody. Um, I feel like one of the most valuable things for life in general is to be present, 
like to be mindful of where we are. I feel like a lot of times, personally, this is huge for me because of my struggle with PTSD. I have a ton of triggers and I also have a ton of anchors. I've been programmed to like when I spin my ring finger to be present to when I touch my middle finger to love myself. So I use an app. Um, there's multiple apps out there, but I use a app, app called Headspace. And all it is is I plug my headphones in and for five minutes, if I'm overwhelmed or stressed, I take five minutes with my headphones in to myself to be grounded in the present moment. Like just to be here and be okay with what's here. That is so amazing because I don't know which episode will air first, George, but I just interviewed Andrea Owen from yourkickasslife.com and you in the same day, and she said the exact same thing. Perfect. So the universe, I, I am not someone who is gifted at uh, quiet moments, yeah. <laughs> and I am not someone who's gifted at the art of meditation in any way, um, and I think the universe is sending me and anyone listening a message on this one. Yes. All right. So George, you were clearly born to have a microphone in front of your face. So when is your podcast coming out? Uh, every time I am interviewed, I talk about the podcast and I'm like, I need to do it. Like I literally have the headphones, the microphone, the post-production, the tab on my website, like everything is sitting in front of me. It's not easy. Now, it's not easy. Well, initially I was going to do a video um, podcast because I love the connection and the piece where people can see my emotion. And then I realized that I was doing what I tell people not to do, which is I was looking for it to be perfect rather than just looking for it to be what it is and do what I can in the moment. Well, I love it. And I think you should do, if it scares you to me, you should run that towards means it. You should do it. Yeah, exactly. Run towards it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I see a future special video episode, George, when I come to California, we're going to make it happen. Um, oh, great. <laughs> well, uh, good luck to you with your podcast and you let us know when it drops and we will just promote the hell out of it. And of course. Thank you for everything that you do. And thank you for your candor and just your willingness to just be you, George, so that we can, as you described more articulately than I will, just so you can bring people along and show them what it looks like to be real and to fail and trip and fall and get right back up again. I, I appreciate it. It was my absolute pleasure to be here. I had a blast and uh, I thank you for everybody that was listening. And uh, until next time. Thanks, George. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. If you like the show, here are two ways you can pay it forward. Tell a friend, help spread the word, and leave a review in iTunes or Stitcher, whichever one you use. That helps the show enormously get traction, and our goal is to spread the word. So if this show spoke to you in any way or it made you think of somebody who could get something out of it, share this with them. And if you want to send me feedback, you can do that directly. Here's how this works. Go to onairwithella.com, find the page that's called Connect, and send me an email. You can tell me anything you want to hear about, ways you think we can improve the show, or just what's on your mind. So I want to hear from you. If you have constructive feedback, tell me directly. If you love the show, share it with somebody and tell iTunes and or Stitcher. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.